1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1, and then pastor has a message entitled, All for the Glory of God, All for the Glory of God, taking from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. And all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not, for, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Conscious, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for our pastor. And we ask now that you bless him, fill him with the power of the Holy Spirit as he brings forth the message that you've placed upon his heart for us this day, and we give you all the thanks and praise, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Frank. If you came ready to hear from God this morning, would you say amen? amen. I, as I look out over the congregation, I see some of us came looking for a miracle. Uh, I see Mike Lane back there in his Cleveland Brown shirt, um, but uh, looking for miracles, but we came to hear from God, amen? And so we are studying on Sunday mornings through the book of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse, line by line, and we're finishing up this morning the question of Christian liberty and how we handle questions of conscience and controversy in the church. Now, how many of us will recognize this morning that when we come together as a church, we want community, amen? We want community. We want that family atmosphere. But here's the thing. If that's what we want, then we better figure out how to live with one another. And so we started way back in chapter 8 on this. And the matter at hand was the church had a question about meat that had been sacrificed to idols. If it was involved in idol worship, was it okay to buy? Is it okay to eat? How do we handle that? Now, you and I don't have questions about meat anymore, except uh, maybe how to cook your steak. But there have always been issues that Christians have held different views on. Some of the questions of our day include, but are not limited to, uh, acceptability of styles of worship, entertainment, TV, music, movies, video games, matters of politics. 
involvement in politics, matters of war and military service, how we raise our kids, how we educate our kids, how we discipline our kids, how we apply principles of biblical modesty and appropriateness, how Christians should handle Halloween, etc., 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 etc. Now, the sad truth is, Many churches have been destroyed over matters like these. The sad truth is Christians bite and devour one another over matters like these. But church, I'm here to tell you there is a biblical and better way to handle matters of conscience and controversy in the church. And so Paul this morning is going to wrap up his answer to their question by giving them some principles to consider. And the reality is, church, whenever I am faced with a matter of conscience, there ought to be more thought that goes into my decision than, hmm, what do I want in this moment? There ought to be more thought to it than that. I think it's interesting through chapters 8, 9, and 10 that Paul really never gives an absolute yes or no. Instead, Paul gives us and the Holy Spirit gives us principles that can help us distinguish the difference between right and wrong, the difference between spiritual and selfish, and distinguish between good, better, and best. So we're going to look at some of these principles today, and I'm going to pose them as questions that we really ought to ask ourselves as Christians when we face these matters of conscience. Now, I gave you these way back in chapter 8. I'm going to give you to them again. Some presuppositions for this sermon. Number one, sin is sin. Come on, church. Sin is sin. And God has called us as Christians to be separate from sin and to be holy. To be like Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse number 9. There the Bible says this. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you. That's past life. But ye are present life sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 1, we preached on it recently. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, what let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, what's that word, church? Holiness. Oh, you. All right, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I got more than three points this morning, and uh, the Browns don't start till one, so Mike's given me at least that long. So you got to help me out this morning, amen? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth us salvation hath appeared to all men. What does the grace of God do? Teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live righteously, soberly, righteously, and godly in this precious world, present world. Therefore, as you and I talk about matters of conscience, we are not talking about that which God has already clearly defined as sin. So, presupposition number one, sin is sin. Presupposition number two is you and I, we must come to know the difference between what is essential and what is not. We must never raise the non-essential to the level of essential or vice versa. In other words, we ought to be loud where the Bible is loud and be humble where the Bible is quiet. 
And I will tell you, among Christians, humility is something we often lack. And as we look at these principles this morning, number three, presupposition, the principles we're going to get this morning, they're a good start, but they are by no means all-inclusive. Many other principles affect things that aren't covered here. For instance, the principle of authority. Uh, The Bible says to obey them that have rule over you. And institutional standards uh, are a good and right thing. For instance, your family may have rules that my family may not, and that's okay. My family may have rules that your doesn't. But my kids need to obey my family's standards, and your kids need to obey yours. Same thing goes for institutions. This church has standards that other churches do not. The standards don't make you righteous or holy, but if God leads standards to be put in place, we need to recognize the authority God has put in place over us. And so that's just one of many that are not covered, but we manage to cover anyways. All right. Guys, ready? Some principles this morning. I will tell you, uh, we do have, uh, for those of you who want the notes, who may not be able to catch it, uh, we we do have papers printed up and that you can pick up after church uh, for your convenience and further study. Let's jump in verse number 23. Look at some of these principles this morning. Paul writes, first of all, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. First thing we're going to consider, number one, this morning is the question of growth. The question of growth. All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but all things are not expedient. So as I consider the question of growth, I have to consider this. How can or how does this help me grow as a Christian? Now the Christian life following Jesus, and this is important, the Christian life is less about my present immediate pleasure And it is far more about my continual, intentional progress. In other words, I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. I want to love more like Jesus today. I want to pray more like Jesus today. I want to serve more like Jesus today. I want to grow to be more like Jesus each and every day. And that means that I have to every day intentionally choose to take up my cross. Not my comfort, not my preferences, not my pleasure. I need to choose to take up my cross and follow him. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said this, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him what? Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Oh, what's that next word though too? His cross daily and follow me. Boy, that's a far cry from what we hear in a lot of pulpits today. But it means that God is far more interested in my growth than he is in my immediate pleasure. And that means as a Christian that I'm not just looking for what isn't bad. Well, what's wrong with it? No, that's not the question. I'm not just looking for what isn't bad, but I am looking for what is genuinely beneficial. I'm not just looking for what may be good. I'm looking for that which can help me be godly. With that in mind, I'm going to tell you, church, there are many things in this world that are good and enjoyable, but they're not necessarily helpful. They're not expedient. They're not beneficial. Oh, consider sports this morning, NFL opening weekend. I tell you, sports are good. But they don't necessarily help me be more like Jesus. Sometimes they help me not be like Jesus. Let's be honest. Social media. Entertainment. We could go on and on. But there's a lot of things in this world that are good. 
They're enjoyable, but they're not necessarily helpful. Now, here's where the problem occurs. The problem occurs because that which is good often wants to become God and take over. Meaning, there is nothing wrong with going home and watching football. And all the men said... Amen. But I'm going to tell you, there is something wrong with watching football at expense of your family. There is something wrong with choosing football over your faith. And the problem is we live in a culture that knows no bounds, right? Uh, I think in our culture we very much see the fulfillment of like 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 4 where it talks about men shall be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We see fulfillment of Philippians 2 where it talks about how their God is their bellies. And that which is good and that which they want, it's not just good, it becomes their God and it calls the shots. You know, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. We looked at this a couple of chapters ago. He says, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And I'm going to tell you, church, sometimes we make our decisions based on what feels good. And when we do that, that which is good can very, very subtly become God. I'm going to tell you this too. It's easy, isn't it, to fill our lives with good at the expense of God. Church, I'm going to tell you, priorities matter. Priorities matter. And I'm going to tell you, priorities, what is our priority? Is it me or is it the master? What did Jesus tell us in Matthew 6 and verse number 33? He said this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Colossians 3 and verse number 1 tells us to set our affection on things above. In other words, as I consider these matters, I need to place a high value on things, directions, and decisions that help me grow as a Christian. So what's our first question, church? It is the question of... Growth, the question of growth. But Paul gives us another principle. Verse 23 and 24, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. So we have, first of all, the question of growth. We have, secondly, this morning, what I'm going to call the question of grace. The question of grace. In other words... How can or how does this help me build up others? You know, as I look at the New Testament, our liberty is given to us largely to be a blessing to other people. Galatians 5 and verse number 13 tells us this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, amen, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. In other words, in point number one, I looked at what would be really beneficial for me, but hey, it's not just about me, amen? Because I want to see not just what's beneficial for me, I need to see what's beneficial for me and others. All things are lawful, but not all things edify or build up. You know, as a Christian, I have a responsibility to love and do good to everyone especially the brethren. 
Jesus said one of our defining characteristics, John 13 and verse number 34, would that be that we love one another as he has loved us. And I think we understand largely as a church that loving someone doesn't mean just feeling fondness towards them. It means living in such a way that we seek their highest good. In other words, I I don't just have an opportunity. I have a responsibility as a believer, as a Christian, to build up those around me, to prefer and esteem those around me better than myself. I know it's earth-shattering, but it's very biblical. The Christian life is not about me first. You heard the old, uh, the old uh, song, the old reality, uh, how you get joy in the Christian life. Well, well, J-O-Y, what does the J stand for? It stands for Jesus. The O stands for others. The Y stands for you or yourself. Yeah. The Christian life is not primarily about me. And boy, I have to be careful because when it comes to my liberty, if I am not careful... The thing that I allow for myself can become a thing that causes my brother to stumble and fall and sin. And Romans 14 verses 19 and 20, we see this, therefore, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify or build up another. And verse 20, remember the question is meat and idols. For meat, destroy not the work of God. In other words, I have to be so careful that the thing that I allow for myself not become the thing that causes my brother to fall. Like it or not, We have a responsibility to watch out for one another. Like it or not, to answer the question from Genesis, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Romans 15 and verse number 1, Paul tells us this there. Romans 15, then we which are strong ought to bear the infirmities or the weakness of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now that runs in the face at what our modern understanding of liberty is. Liberty is often wielded as a license to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And sometimes we have the mentality that you don't have to like it, but get on board or get out of my way. But when we live that way, people get hurt. You remember back before everybody did everything online? You remember watching like when they opened the doors at Toys R Us or Target or Walmart or Best Buy on Black Friday? And they had those like two TVs, those two 20-inch TVs that they had discounted. And I mean, people were ready to break down the doors. You'd get news reports the next day of people trampling other people because they wanted the Furby. They wanted the Tickle Me Elmo. They wanted the TV. And so we literally trampled other human beings for a toy that got played with six times. And we, those of us who were too lazy to get up that early shook our heads in disapproval. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, that's no different than a Christian who looks at a brother and says, I'm going to do what I want, get on board or get out of my way. And we as Christians are trampling one another things that don't really matter my mission as a Christian is not to bulldoze others but to build up others 
Therefore, when it comes to matters of conscience in the church, I need to choose and value that which helps me build up others. So question number one is the question of what? The question of growth. Question number two is the question of grace. Look at question number three, verses 25 through 27. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that's the meat markets, that eat asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So we looked at the question of growth. We looked at the question of grace. Thirdly, this morning, let's consider the question of good faith. The question of good faith. Or we can put it this way. Does this violate my conscience? The Bible is clear that our Holy Spirit-directed conscience matters. Now, Paul points out here, when you go to the meat market, the shambles, uh, eat what you buy, don't ask questions. If somebody invites you to a meal and you're disposed, you're inclined to go, uh, just eat what's set before you. Don't ask questions. In other words, Paul says, why create an issue when there doesn't need to be one? That would be good for Christians to learn, amen? Or, uh, in the matter of somebody that invites you over, why be offensive when you don't need to be? Another good thing Christians can learn. The principle is this. If I can do it in good faith, if I can be fully persuaded before God, then great, do it. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But I'm going to tell you, the inverse is true as well. If I can't do it in faith, then I shouldn't. Let me show you a verse that ought to give us all great pause. Romans 14 and verse number 23. Again, Romans 14 is all about the same thing. Liberty, eating meat, sacrifice to idols. It says, he that doubteth is damned or judged if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And so if I can do it in faith, wonderful, do it. I can't do it in faith, then I shouldn't. I cannot answer for how your conscience has been formed by the Holy Spirit, and you can't answer for mine. Sometimes we hear believers say, Well, I wouldn't have spent that on that. Or well, wouldn't your money? Well, I wouldn't have gone there. Well, good, then don't. Well, I wouldn't have worn that. Great. But I'm going to tell you, this is an area where sometimes we just need to be mature enough to give grace to one another. Because there's a little something that exists called soul liberty. And soul liberty recognizes you may not have spent that on that or gone there or worn that, but you're not going to answer to God for them. And they're not going to answer to God for you. Romans chapter 14, verses 3 and 4 tells us this. Let him that eateth, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let him not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Verse number 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. Verse number 12 gives us a nice summary. It says this, Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Hmm. The question of good faith. 
And so I need to give grace for soul liberty. Because I'm not going to answer for them and they're not going to answer for me. But church, also don't base your faith on someone else's liberty. That just because they spent that, went there, wore that, doesn't mean you should. Don't base your faith on someone else's liberty. And the inverse of that is don't flaunt your liberty over someone else's faith. Or we could put it this way, don't flaunt your liberty in someone else's face. Romans 14 verse 22 tells us this, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. And I know that's asking a lot in a day and age where we all feel compelled to post everything we eat, where, every place we go, every thought we have on the internet for everybody to see. But sometimes you just need to have faith yourself before God and not flaunt it in everybody else's faith. face. Do you have faith? Can it be done in good faith? Does it violate my Holy Spirit-directed conscience? If you have faith, have it before God alone. If in doubt, don't. It really is that simple. So number one, we saw what? The question of growth. Does it help me grow as a Christian? Uh, Question number two, we saw the question of grace. Does it allow me to help build up other people? Question three, we saw the question of good faith. Does it violate my Holy Spirit directed conscience? Look at verse number 28. I told you we had more than three. I'm not telling you how many. But if any man say unto you, so again, this is you're invited to somebody's house, right? But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, Eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So now we have, I'm going to call it number four, the question of the gospel. Does this challenge or undermine gospel truth? Does this challenge or undermine gospel truth? So the picture is now you're invited over somebody's house. And when you get there and they bring out the main course, they declare the gathering to be in honor of some idol. The eating of this is the continued worship of false gods so-and-so. We learned last week that idol is nothing, but the demon behind it is very real. And so if you find yourself involved in something that is a declared worship of some false god or demon, Christian, you have found yourself in a situation that is a direct challenge to the gospel of Christ and to the lordship of Christ. So for the same reason we can, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, becomes the same reason we shouldn't. Because it doesn't belong to that false god. The earth earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. On matters of loyalty to the lordship of Christ. And the truth of the gospel. Christian we must be clear where we stand. Sin is sin. Jesus alone saves. Jesus alone is the king of kings. And what Paul is saying is this world needs to see somebody who is willing to stand for that truth. That our faith. Our message, our master is not for sale. Psalm 29, 1 and 2, the psalmist says this, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Now, what does this mean for us? Church, we have no liberty 
to actively participate in the worship of something other than the Lord. And you know what that means? That means, Christians, we have to be very careful with our presence, with our participation, and what we give our passion to. Because the reality is there are still many altars to false gods out there. Let me give you a couple of examples. The god of sex was once called Aphrodite, is now called LGBTQIA+, and Pride Month. So no, Christians should not go to so-called gay weddings. No, Christians should not use preferred pronouns. And no, Christians should not in any way accommodate the modern sex cult. The God of power. The God of power, once called Zeus or Jupiter, is now called the Republican and Democratic parties. I hope this doesn't... Neither Trump nor Biden is the hope for America. That place belongs to Jesus alone. And church, let me be clear. It's not that we don't participate. We ought to participate. You ought, I, I believe you ought to vote. I believe if you're a Christian, you take the light of Christ everywhere you go, and that includes the ballot box. I believe if God calls you to be involved in the political process, be involved in the political process. But here's what I am saying. As a Christian, I don't belong to a political party. I belong to Jesus. He is the only one that can claim ownership of me. The God of power. And the God of entertainment. Hmm. God of entertainment, once called Bacchus, is now called YouTube, Netflix, Disney. Fill in the musician, actor, athlete of your choice. Who, if we're honest, brazenly glorify perversion, violence, excess, humanism, and the church and, sadly, and the culture and sadly much of the church continues to send their tithes and offerings to them in form of subscription fees. Church, we have to be careful with our presence, with our participation, and where we put our passion. Because we have no liberty to actively participate in the worship of something other than the Lord. And so I have to ask myself the question of the gospel, does this challenge or undermine the gospel of Christ or the lordship of Christ? Does this glorify sin? Does this minimize or deny the consequences of sin? Because the wages of sin is still... Does this glorify the creature above the creator? If it does then I need to not. And the reality is, church, when I am willing to diminish or surrender the truth of the gospel and the lordship of Christ, I am surrendering the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means I have a master and I have a message. And I can't surrender those. How does this reflect on gospel truth? So questions we're going to ask ourselves. Number one is what? The question of growth. Number two, the question of grace. Number three, the question of 
Good faith. Number four, the question of the gospel. Getting there. Verse 28 through 30. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat it not for his sake that showed it. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? If, for if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Mm, so here we have the question of guidance. The question of guidance. Let me put it simply like this. Have I asked the Lord for wisdom about this? You know, in those three verses, it almost seems like Paul is talking out of both sides of his mouth. Uh, if, if it's in violation of the gospel or a violation of a weaker brother's conscience, then, then I need to protect the weaker brother's conscience. But at the same time, why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? And so the weaker brother's conscience must be protected, but the wise brother's conduct should also be protected. You can almost see the church at Corinth going, ah, give me an answer already. Just tell me yes or tell me no. Why all these riddles? Just give me an answer. But Paul doesn't do that. Because the reality here in these matters is there's a tension here that cannot be resolved because it lies in the paradoxical essence of who we are as Christians. We are free, and yet we are servants. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, and I love this quote, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to no one. Aren't you grateful for the liberty we have in Christ? (coughs) A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to no one. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. How how do we do that? Well, it requires things called balance, wisdom, discernment, and spirit dependence. The simple principle here is this, that neither weakness nor strength can be allowed to become tyrannical. That you and I need wisdom and discretion to maintain godly balance. Here's the thing about wisdom, though. If I need wisdom, what should I do? James chapter 1 and verse number 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him what? Let him him what? Let him what? Ask of God. Who giveth to all men liberally, abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But, hold up. It amazes me how much I do and never once stop to ask God, For his wisdom. It amazes me how much I do and never once stop and ask God for his will, his wisdom, his way. But we ought to. No two decisions are exactly the same. And simply put, when it comes to matters of conscience, have I asked the Lord for wisdom for this situation? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. I love these verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. All right, we've covered a lot of ground this morning. What was the first question we're asking? The question of growth. Is it beneficial? Question number two, the question of grace. Does it help me build up others? Number three, the question of 
Good faith, does it violate my Holy Spirit-formed conscience? Question number four, the question of the gospel. Does it undermine gospel truth? Question number five, the question of guidance. Have you even stopped to ask the Lord what would he have you do? And finally... And all God's people said, Amen. And finally this morning, look with me, verses 31 through 11.1. Paul says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do. By the way, doesn't that context make that verse richer? Whether or not we're going to eat the meat, whether or not we're going to do the thing, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, say it with me, do all to the glory of God. He says, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We've seen the principle of Growth. We've seen the principle of grace, the principle of good faith, the principle of the gospel, the principle of guidance. And finally this morning, we see the question or the principle of God's glory. The question is simply this. Does this allow me to magnify the Lord Jesus? Does this allow me to bring glory to God? And I'm going to tell you, church, this is the overarching principle of every facet of the Christian life. Whether we eat or whether we drink or whatsoever we do, we are to do all to the glory of God. This is Paul's example. Uh, we, we saw in 1 Corinthians 8, he said, you know, if my eating meat would cause my brother to stumble, I'm never going to eat meat again. And I don't think I love you that much, church, but Paul did. This was Paul's example, but more importantly, this was Jesus' example. He said, be a follower of me, even as I am of Christ. John chapter 12, Jesus praying to the Father. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 27. Jesus said these words. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He said, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Look what he says. Father... What are those next three words? Glorify thy name. This was Jesus' example. By the way, if there was ever anyone who walked this earth who had the liberty to do whatever he wanted, say whatever he wanted, get whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted, for whatever reason he wanted. If there was anyone who has ever walked this earth who had that liberty, do you know who it was? It was Jesus. And yet Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name. You know, when it comes to matters of conscience and controversy in the church, the one question, the one question, the one question we really need to ask is simply this. How can I bring God glory here? I will tell you, it's a glorious reality. You were created to bring glory to God. That's why He made you. That's why He saved you. He, he has created and saved you to bring glory to His name. What a glorious thing. And, and the glorious truth is that I can always choose to bring glory to God. No matter the situation, I can choose to bring glory to God. No matter your station in life, you can choose to bring glory to God. No matter your stress, no matter your struggle, you can always choose to bring God glory. And boy, Christian liberty is often 
Just as simple as God's glory. You can try your way. You can try your reasons. But the square peg doesn't fit in the round hole. And it never will. I brought as an example this morning... My favorite toy. It goes with my frozen pillowcase. Square peg. Round hole. Now, you could understand the baby in the nursery not being able to figure it out, right? But at a certain point, the kid gets a little bit older. This toy, something's wrong with this toy. This toy's broke. This toy's dumb. I don't like this toy. Something's wrong with this toy. At a certain point, you have to admit that there's probably not anything wrong with the toy. There may be something wrong with the kid who keeps trying to cram a square peg in a round hole. You were created to bring glory to God. And I'm going to tell you, I have my liberty. There's nothing wrong with this. Why am I so miserable? Why won't it? Mm. Because, church, God has given us all things freely to enjoy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In Christ, we have the abundant life. Mm. But I am created. To bring glory to God. And when that becomes my question, when I learn to align my life with God's glory, you know what I find? I find everything else tends to fall into place. Christian, this morning, God's given us great liberty, God's given us life abundant. Let's live it for the glory of God.